Hello and welcome to an expanded crew episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we're accompanied by Andrew Pabone, who you might have previously heard on our Obi-Wan Kenobi review. We'll be reviewing part three of our Welcome to LA trilogy with 1995's Heat. We'll jump into five-point inspection with You're Home Free, Between You and Some Poor Bastard, LA Takedown, That's the Discipline, and You Looking to Become a Penologist? But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Hey, uh, what time did you say he'd be here? Uh, 1.30. I've, I've, I've got a uh, 1.28 on my watch. Oh, shit, there he is. Damn, is that a 9.11 slope? Beautiful car. Gentlemen, I am looking for the proprietors of the Hollywood Chop Shop. Uh, that's, uh, that's us, sir. My name is Brett. This here is my business partner, Travis. Sir, I just want to say it's an honor to have you consulting on the redesign. Gentlemen, this isn't about, uh, an interior design. I've been on the premises for over 90 seconds, and I have not been offered anything in the way of a refreshment. Um, I, I apologize, sir. Uh, what can we grab for you? Uh, we, we've got some bagels. I'm here, and, I'm, here, uh, I'm here in bagels. What kind of cream cheese? I believe we have original and, and blueberries. Give me all you got. You know, just bring me a small mirror and a hundred dollar bill. I've, I've got the mirror covered. I, I, all I've got is 20s. <laughs> now, gentlemen, I've got a 911 slope outside. I need pads and rotors. How much is that going to run me? Uh, well, sir, it depends on the brand of pads that we have. A drop of a hat. You got to be ready to rock and roll. This shop needs a lot of work, gentlemen. I'm going to pull my car around. I'll be right back. By the time I get to Phoenix, we'll be rising. He'll probably leave a note right on the door. I'm uh, kind of starting to regret this decision. Yeah, no kidding. Do you just want to review heat? Please, God, yes, please. Don't waste my motherfucking time! The importance of a solid crew is quickly realized after a carefully executed heist ends with three dead security guards, a homeless witness, and a loose Nazi with an axe to grind. When LA's finest gets involved, it's not long before small details start to erode away the thieves' true identities and puts mounting pressure on them to complete one last job before disappearing. Sure, it would be easy just to walk away, but that's not really in their nature, and it's like they say, the action's in the juice. Alrighty, gentlemen. Before we get into five-point inspection, you know I want to know your quick diagnostic at 1995's Heat. Wait, is that a synopsis or is that your synopsis? That's mine. That's <laughs> re that's very good. Uh, Brett, are you asking me the, the M.O. of this movie? Yeah, could you give me the M.O. Well, of this movie? Uh, the M.O. is that it's good. <laughs> uh, I have nothing but fond memories of this movie. Uh, dating back to the late 90s when I would, every summer, it was a tradition for me to rent the double VHS from the video store, probably two to three times a summer and watch it. Um, obviously, I was, I was way too young to understand what was going on. The fact that Tom Noonan apparently had an early version of the internet in this movie. A lot of stuff <laughs> went over my head. 
But what I could absolutely tell, because even as a kid, I was a big action movie junkie. By the time I saw this movie, I'd already seen all that Arnold had put out. You know, we reviewed Total Recall and Terminator 2, Predator. What I instantly recognized about this movie, even as a kid, is Michael Mann has a great level of care for how action is displayed and how, quote unquote, realistic it is. So this movie has always been incredible to me. I've literally got a poster behind me that you, you can see. I tried to have a more critical eye this time because we're doing it for a review podcast. So I have a few notes, but I can't I can't hide my love for it. Uh, who wants to go next? Andrew, I'd love to know what you all, all round us out. So what is your your quick diagnostic of, of heat? Um, not my favorite movie of all time. Definitely one of. And I do think it is the best movie of all time. I'm a big Michael Mann really? fan. I, I think it's the I think it is the best done film of all time. I've only seen like 100 movies, but of those 100, I think it has done the best. Um, I, I enjoy you, it as much as my What do you mean by that? Are you talking about cinematography? Are you talking about acting? When character, you put like everything story? in there. Um, okay. And it, it maybe it is, gets a little bit more into like my personal preferences, but I love the way Michael Mann shoots, directs. Hmm. I love how he brings out the best in every actor that's on set, the music choices. It, it all just comes together so beautifully. But the other thing about this movie, like Travis... I didn't understand it when I first watched it, and I, I'm embarrassed to say, I I think the first two times I tried to watch it, I, I didn't make it very far. Um, I needed like a power nap before watching it, because it's a longer movie, but when I watched it all the way through, I was blown away, and I've done a ton of research, and re-watching it this time, uh, I hate watching movies critically, by the way, that, that must suck to do on this podcast. <laughs> um, I, I also have some, uh, there, there are a couple of low points in here, but it you really have to pay attention to every single thing that's being said. Like, there's parts of the movie that could be cut, but every single thing in here has a purpose, a point, and almost anything that you think is ridiculous or odd was researched by Michael Mann and put in this movie for a reason. I look forward to hearing, guys, as I don't have... Well, I'll just say, I, I also think it's a fantastic film. Obviously, I have some little weird nitpicky things. A lot of it comes down to how long the movie is, and I think there's definitely some pieces that could be removed it's either needs to be removed or i wish this was a mini series where they could have expelled on some things where i thought it was just so high level or just scraping the surface that it's like it's almost a travesty that they didn't do more with it but we'll get into that uh but at the end of the day it is an absolutely fantastic film i i feel like it is i'm glad that a couple trilogies ago we reviewed bullet because i feel like this movie is very much a spiritual successor to bullet and the natural progression of what bullet was in what was it the 60s and then what that movie would have looked like if it had been made in the 90s because there's so many elements that echo with that i mean uh vincent Hanna, i think the way that he's portrayed is very much like how bullet was in in bullet um you know the whole like i'm a i'm a oh, okay i mean if Looks bullet like had a raging cocaine habit <laughs> <laughs> well cocaine wasn't a problem in the 60s right that didn't come until later so again it's you know it's, it's again a sign of the times but the whole thing about you know i the, the parallels of him trying to keep all of the homicides away and, and having that that divide between his life was very much you saw that in bullet especially towards the very end like bullet was a much slower and despite it still being long there's definitely pieces like we've talked about like they didn't redo him below. Like again, this is a refined version of that. Even to the point where it ends with a chase on on a airport runway. Um, but to that point, I absolutely love this movie, and I, and I do think it is. Like I said, it is the it is the 
in Pokemon terms, the next evolution of Bullet. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, I think we can get into some of our five point. Does anybody have anything off the, the top of their, their list that they just want to go ahead and jump into? Well, I had a quick question. I didn't want to interrupt you again, Brett. Obviously, you watched it for this review. What was your experience with the movie prior to this review? I had seen it once before, and I don't. I definitely have not watched it as many times as you guys. I remember, like, there were certain <laughs> there's parts of this movie I forgot happened, like the whole suicide thing with Natalie Portman's character. My jaw literally dropped, and I was like, I totally fucking forgot. And then at that point, I was like, Have I watched this movie? But I was like, No, no, because I definitely remember Val Kilmer's character getting away. Like, I knew that that happened, and I know how the the fight at the end happens. I'm like, I don't think it. I probably watched it probably early in high school was the first time I watched it. And as you guys said, like, I don't think it had any impact on me because I didn't understand the gravity of the movie at that time. Watching it this, I mean, it is yeah, it's absolutely a fantastic movie. Um, definitely resonated a lot more with me this, this go round. And even as we're talking about looking at it critically, again, you understand more. Like one of my favorite scenes is towards the beginning with Vincent Hanna after the first heist, the, the armored car heist, they do such a great job of Vincent Hanna establishing his expertise as the hunter, establishing, um, what is it, Macaulay as how great of a thief he is as he's explaining all the stuff that they did. Oh, they use these explosives. Like, you know, go ahead and look for the trace, but we're not going to find that. I can. You're there, you're, we hope to God it's going to be something exotic because then we'll have a lead. Like, he's talking all this stuff. He has complete command of the situation and they're doing a data dump to the audience. So you understand a, what the hell is going on and also how at the top of the game, both of these characters are. And I think it's just, it's so well done in that scene as he's just barking orders, everything that he sees in the scene. And he's like, you know, I don't know if you'd ever see that out in an actual crime scene where it's like, oh, I want you to go investigate this. It's probably not going to come up with anything, but if it does, we'll be lucky. And like, you're getting this feel for this world. And again, how much Vincent Hanna knows his shit. And then his respect as to if these guys are as good as I think they are, like, we're probably not going to get any of this. And I think it, it just sets up the movie so well. Well, I'll just kind of throw this alley-oop to Andrew, because I think he'll have a lot to say about this as well. But that's why I chose That's the Discipline. I mean, that's technically a line from this movie, but Michael Mann as a director, it feels like his main characters are always extensions of himself because he has the discipline as a filmmaker and the expertise that Vincent Hanna does as a detective. How much research have you guys done on this movie? All of it. Mm. <laughs> okay, so you'll know this then, Travis. Yeah, um, that might run into my five point also. Just go, go for ahead, it. What, go let's just do it. What yeah. was my five point again? Uh, were you looking to be a penologist? A penologist, a penologist is someone who studies crime, right? Or like criminals? Well, I thought yes. prisoners in particular. Yeah, like how prisoners. Yeah, for, to, try prisoners. And re to try and reform them. So yeah. for those who don't know, Michael Mann, he was in production forever. It was originally a TV show that got a pilot. They couldn't agree on the main actor, so that TV show got nixed. A little bit of trivia, Michael Rooker was actually in the pilot as a coroner for two seconds. Like a so was Xander Berkeley. So was Xander Berkeley. Yeah, that's right, he yeah. was in this movie again as Ralph. Yeah, that's right. And I have to demean myself with Ralph to get closure. 
Um, so he spent a lot of time at these prisons over on the West Coast, like Folsom. Folsom is a prison where uh, Danny Trejo actually spent time in, also in real life. Uh, and a couple, of, a lot of the actors too that he'll use are people that he met in prison, that he met on the streets. Like, um, there's a scene where Pacino's going in the club to meet Tone Loke, and there's a bouncer on a crutch, right? Mm-hmm. That guy got that role because Michael Mann knew him from the streets or something, but he had gotten shot like the week before he got into a fight, got shot, and that's why he's on crutches in that scene. I did think it was weird that you would have a bouncer on crutches, but you know, hey, it is yeah, the, the commitment was there, so I appreciate it. So that's why that that dude's there. Yeah, and I mean, you right. mentioned Andrew that this was a failed TV series. Uh, that's, I mean, we're, we're blending the five points, but that's fine. L.A. Takedown was the name of the failed TV show that ended up just being a TV movie. And I thought it was interesting, Brett, literally in the same trilogy we were talking about in Terminator 2, how with Terminator 2, James Cameron kind of had the opportunity to make what he wanted to make the first time around. But now he had the budget Mm -hmm. and the talent to do that. Exactly the same situation with Michael Mann. Like like Andrew said, he had been dreaming of this project in some iteration for years because he had a a great respect for i guess a chicago police officer named chuck adamson who ran into Mm -hmm. neil mccauley in chicago i think back in the 60s he's always wanted to tell this story it it didn't go well he killed him it didn't go well with la takedown so he had his second (laughs) opportunity with heat so that makes a lot of sense if this started off as a series because as i thought there were three side characters they're in the movie and they they have a purpose, but I feel like what we get is so shallow off them. The first one is Hannah. I feel like, do we ever know what actually Hannah's going through? Like, I know that Pacino's character, Hannah, brings it up multiple times. I've got a, you know, a stepdaughter that's so fucked up you wouldn't believe or something like that. And like, you you never, I never got that vibe from Natalie Portman or the way she, other than the fact like, oh, her dad's abandoned her. Like, that's got to suck. And then all of a sudden, she's slit her arteries in a bathtub and i'm like it came out of fucking nowhere to me and i'm like her character to me that whole scene was about establishing that vincent hannah wasn't a sociopath which we will get to and that he actually cared about human life and they're like oh he didn't just let her die in the bathtub he fought to keep her alive even though you know that wasn't his necessarily his daughter that's his stepdaughter and all that like i felt like that's essentially what that scene was supposed to be but it to me it just it it wound up this the the breadcrumbs were there but it i never really got a full grasp as to why she kept being brought back up until the end where they use that again i, I my thought is that they use that to establish that vincent hannah does actually care about people um but that was very shallow to me did you guys have any comments on hannah Wait, you said you had three three characters that you feel like were yes. underdeveloped in the film and this is your yes. comment on vincent hannah not natalie Portman. No, this is my comment on on Natalie Portman. Natalie, oh, Natalie okay, Portman okay. to me, yeah, was very shallow. Like she, she was essentially just a plot device. And I was like, I never, I felt like there were pieces there that we were supposed to find more out about her or the relationship or what she was going through. And instead, it was just like some offhand comments from Vincent Hanna about like, oh, she's so fucked up. And then at the end, she tries to kill herself. And it's it, to me, there, I wish there had been more about that character so that I would have understood and. Again, I said my jaw dropped when I saw that, but like I didn't have a ton of empathy for her because all it was is like, oh, her dad didn't show up again. And I'm like, what exactly else is she going through for her to result in wanting to kill herself? You know? Yeah, I, I think um, 
I think they probably could have cut Natalie Portman out of the movie. Um, and I kind of hate saying that because once again, Natalie Portman gives like that professional level performance of she, she's just fantastic in the movie, but mm-hmm. her story is a little bit weak. And I feel like we already get the scene to establish that Vince isn't a sociopath. And that's when he comes to see the, uh, the girl that Wingro kills. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so we'll get Christ. to that in a minute. Okay. We'll is, get to that in a minute too. Yeah. But, Cause um, that Natalie, was another thing where I felt like that was the whole purpose of that scene. Yeah. Um, so another character that I felt was underdeveloped that I would have loved, loved to have seen more. You know exactly what I'm going to say. Donald. Yeah. I felt like they're talking about a lot about prison reform and the fact that once you get out, like how impo- almost impossible it is to actually get your life back in order. And to me, that's such a powerful story. And I would have loved to have known more about Donald. Like the fact that he got out and essentially he did his time as a criminal and then he's being robbed by the person who's supposed to be helping him. The, you know, I'm going to take 25% off the top because that's just the way this works. I'm like, and then it basically drives him back into a life of crime. Like I would have loved to have seen more about Donald. I thought Donald had so much more story to give that we lost. And to your point, if this was originally a series, I bet you Donald had a lot more story and they just, man had to cut it down to as little as he could as to why Donald, as opposed to just being like, hey, that's a guy we went to prison with. You want to be our driver now? Like, they had, I just wish Donald had had more, more development. He became the president. <laughs> yeah. And the voice of Allstate for a while. That's true. But yeah, I, that's an excellent point, And I knew exactly where you were going with it. Because despite, despite the, in any other movie, I would complain that we're introduced to this character and in, Five minutes, he's already thrown away the life that he's supposedly working on. But yet, Haysbert's performance, his wife's performance, frankly, the, the performance of the asshole boss, because God, mm-hmm. never have I wanted to punch an actor in the face, not knowing <laughs> anything he's ever done before or after this gonna movie. going to take 25% yeah. off the top. Yeah. yeah. When Donald throws him to the side to get past oh him, like, that's God. all you're going to do? Like, he deserved a swift, <laughs> like, just fucking punch in but the, the thing mouth. Is, like, you hate it's just it because <laughs> yeah. knowing the real world, you're like, no, don't even put your hands on him at all. But how could you resist? And mm-hmm. yeah, it's the, 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 ni- it's the 90s and there's no cameras. So fair. Could be. Fair. Yeah. But could it is okay. LA and one guy's black and one guy's white. Oh, that, so, that is true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, just the the ability to care for the Don Breland character as much as you do with as rushed as his plotline is, is a credit to this movie. But again, you're left wanting so much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree with that, Brett. And then my last character that I thought needed more development was Wayne Grow. (laughs) And my problem with Wayne Grow... Here's oh here's the funny thing. Up until I looked up IMDb to write his name down, no, don't I say it. His... Don't say it. Don't say it. What are you gonna say? What else he was in? No, 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 no. Oh, never mind. I, Con th- Air? I thought. Yes. I thought his name. I... <laughs> I was gonna say he gets his development in Con Air. I thought his name was Mangrove, the entire fucking movie. <laughs> I have it in my notes written Mangrove, Mangrove, Mangrove. And then I'm looking through on IMDb as to who the actress. I'm like, where the fuck is Mangrove? Oh, it's Wangrove. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my problem with his character is that to me, Macaulay and his crew are so tight and so methodical with everything they do 
the fact that they bring on this fucking loose cannon, Wayne Grow, to me is so, that's the most implausible. There's a giant shootout in the, the streets of LA. And to me, the most implausible thing of the movie is Wayne Grow being brought in as part of this crew. Because all he's brought into, and then we get the scene where he kills the hooker. And I'm like, the only reason this scene is here is, Andrew, to what you were saying, so that we have a reason to bring Vincent out so that he can hug that woman. And it's a powerful scene. I'm not saying it's a bad scene. I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things, I'm like, it's just so weird that we introduce Wayne Grove. He gets away, which doesn't seem realistic. It seems like somebody would have kept their eyes on him and he wouldn't have gone away. And then it's only so that he can be just the the one-dimensional villain. Oh, he's going to kill. He's going to have a Nazi tattoo. He's going to kill a, a young black hooker. And then he's going to sell out a Macaulay's crew for to to the other group or to was to the uh, Van's investment guy. The investment guy at the end, I'm like, he he's just the movie is so well developed. There's and you know the onion. There's so many layers, and Wayne Grove just winds up being so one dimensional in this entire device. movie. He's, he's a walking plot he device. He's, yeah. He is. He is the to me the the sh- the one gripe I had about this movie is he is just used as a plot device, and I just I wish he hadn't been as one-dimensional. It's like, even to that point, it's like, oh, he's going to be the guy who fucks up the heist. Oh, he's also the guy who's going to kill a hooker and give Vincent Hanna his opportunity. Oh, he's also going to be the guy who tells the banker what the the next heist is so that they can give them. Like, it's just, there's, he's, he's so implausible how much he fucks over Macaulay's crew. And they, they wouldn't know who he was when they brought him in. I, I feel like both me and Andrew have just so much to say right now. So it's I'm very gonna... difficult to talk about this too without feeling like I'm just going to walk over a thousand different five points. Or I no, guess no, no, five no, no. This, point, this yeah, happens we, sometimes. We, yeah, yeah, on it, good movies, times, it like, happens every week. Yeah, it, it's it's hard. Yeah, they just start to merge together. So just go for it. I think for me, all right, so this brings up a couple things for me. I think that's as much Wayne Girl as I need and that I'm supposed to kind of figure out that past or kind of surmise how he got in that crew that maybe somebody couldn't make it. They needed an extra guy. And Nate is probably the one that brought him into the crew. Um, uh, which I have I'm, questions uh, about Nate. I have questions about Nate, Andrew. Don't I'm let o- me forget. I'm, o- I'm okay with it. The, probably one of the biggest problems of this movie. I've got three kind of major issues with this movie. Definitely the Wayne girl escape because it yes. is like, it, it is the whole reason for this movie. If Wayne girl doesn't mm. escape, the movie doesn't really happen. Real quick, okay, I've yeah. got a problem with the Wayne Girl escape, but going back a little bit further, I've got a problem with this tight cruise plan. Why are, your plan is to take him to a diner in downtown LA and shoot him in the head and put him in a trunk? Like, <laughs> but it also happens in between the heist and night, so they could have done it, because remember, uh, Neil goes to visit Nate in between that, so there's this whole big period where they probably could have killed him before that. Yeah, like, hey, the, the, they could have the, shot him and burned him in the ambulance. The, yeah. the payoff is in the <laughs> desert. We've got to go get the money from the fucking desert. Let's go out to the desert. Like, I, yeah, that's my biggest beef is this. Brett, you brought up why would they bring Wayne Grow in at all? I can accept that maybe they didn't know the full story on Wayne Grow, but once hey, you Wayne Grow doesn't the, have a difficult job. He's just watching the hostages. And once you see that he fucks it up, though. You've got to have a better plan than just shoot him in downtown and put him in the murder trunk. I, 
That's unforgivable. Well, may, may, Wayne, Wayne Grow winds up being a lot of the things that I think are weird about this movie. Because even towards the end, when it's like the big scheme is that they're going to trap Neil at the the hotel next to the airport. Why do you even need Wangro? You can just put out that you have him in that hotel. You don't actually need Wangro to be there. I don't understand why that was part of the trap is actually having to have Wangro. I would or say how he, they even got him. Yeah, but Nate's the one who finds out where Wangro is. So what 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 it probably is is if they try and lie about it, he this is having a lot of respect for Neil. If you try and lie where Wangro is, he's not going to come after him. And by yeah. the airport makes sense because he figures if. I would assume he figures if he's going to escape, he's going to go to the airport. So this way, he has enough time to kill Wayne Grow. Because remember, he's got a sli- he's got a small window. Put him up by the airport. Maybe something happens. Maybe it doesn't. But but what I'm saying is the L.A. the police didn't actually need to have Wayne Grow. They could have just. The whole thing was that Vincent Hanna said, "Make sure everybody out there knows that there's a guy named Wayne Grow with the name J- or was it Jameson at this hotel." That's all you had to do to set that trap. You didn't actually have to have Wayne Grow. Here's the thing, though, Brett. I think you're looking at it through the old school cops and robbers model. The LAPD Mm -hmm. is one of the most corrupt police forces in the world. So they're not necessarily going to want to get themselves involved more than they have to be. So I almost think Vincent Hanna is kind of doing that extra judiciously. I don't think there's any sort of of legality (laughs) about what Vincent Hanna is doing. Uh, which, I mean, again, it's the fucking LAPD. So, yeah, they're not going to want to go in there and, and arrest well, Wangro. They just want to use Wangro as bait to get a bigger fish. Yeah, and my thing, too, would be that he figures, like, it, I think we're supposed to assume Nate has somebody inside LAPD. So if it were to come back that Wangro wasn't really there, Nate would have probably relayed that to Neil. Could have been. But, but that what's was weirder, Brad, is you didn't yeah. have a problem with they chose a name Jameson or Jamerson. How is he supposed to find a jam? Like when he makes that call that the guy got the wrong room service or whatever, there's probably like 30 staying at that hotel. <laughs> there's probably only one Wayne Grow, though. You call up for Wayne Grow, you're going to get that room number. <laughs> um, but beyond that, uh, as we're talking about Vincent Hanna, I just <laughs> I want to go into between you and some poor bastard. Because this is... That's a, a line delivered by Vincent Hanna when he's talking to Neil McCauley when they meet for coffee. And he makes the comment that if I have to choose between killing you or some or, or uh, to stop you from killing some some bastard I mean, who's going to w- make his wife a widow, who's going to make his wife a widow. Right. I'm going to I'm going to take you down. But then Vincent Hanna. How many cops and civilians does he get killed having an open fire fight in the L.A. streets? You, he you sets ran up into, that whole thing. You're running into what I what I hate to say is I think my biggest problem with the movie is that the the greatest scene in the movie probably shouldn't have happened. Yes. Like, there's no reason. Like, when he's like, just shoot him and take him down there. I'm like, why wouldn't you just follow? You have helicopters. Yeah. You don't need to have a shootout. Like, it's an awesome scene, and I want it to happen in the movie. But at the end of the day, it just makes Vincent Hanna, especially when his partner gets shot, and he just kind of looks at him and he's like, ah, I gotta, I'm on the hunt. I'm on the hunt, man. That's what I, I'm here for. <laughs> I love that scene. I don't know if this is on purpose or not, but when he's looking down at his partner, his eyes are bulged out. And it made yeah. me think of when he was talking about his dream, when it's just a bunch of black eyeballs staring back mm-hmm. at him, and they're all puffy. Like it did seem like he did that. Also, yeah. total side note: that's uh, 
Ted Levine, right? Yes. Yes. So he's a guy from uh, what is Silence of the Lambs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Buffalo who apparently Bill. or Buffalo. Yeah, he was. I, I've never seen that. I, I'm sorry. I've only seen a hundred movies. Apparently, <laughs> he was originally who Michael Mann wanted for Wayne Grow, but he turned it down because he didn't want to get typecast. That's fair. I mean, I could have seen him as a Wayne Grow. Yeah, but I think I think Kevin Gage was perfect as Wayne Grow. Yeah, um, he was way, way sleazier than he would have been. Yeah, I probably would have been like, just follow the car. Um, if it's downtown L.A., at least up until a couple years ago, it would have just been empty anyways. They actually had to like fill it with people to downtown. I, I don't know <laughs> if I took you to downtown L.A., Brett. It's very dead. Uh, it's got yeah, a little bit of resurgence, like, but there's they had to build that. Gro- they had to build that grocery store. There was no grocery store where it was. <laughs> and now there's a Ralph's there. But. But yeah, it is like, weird. I, I would have been like, oh, they stole a bunch of money, which as as Neil says, is FDIC insured, like, I'm not going to risk my cops for this and a bunch of innocent bystanders. Like, we'll, we'll wait till they get somewhere. Yeah, there's, there, you know a bunch of cops got killed, and there's no way a stray bullet did not knock out a, a couple citizens. But it is just one of those things where I'm like, I, established, I know that they've established that Vincent Hanna is, he's the hunter. All he cares about is when he's on the hunt. That's his biggest thing. But at the same time, I'm like, He's a sociopath. He's absolutely a sociopath. And, like, they have to have two scenes to try and establish that, like, he actually cares about human life. And that is when he, you know, he's, he's kind of consoling the, the woman after she finds out her daughter's been killed. And when he saves Hannah. He's got to bottle it like, up. Keeps him sharp, Brett. Yeah. He's got to stay <laughs> on the edge. That's where he's got to be. <laughs> Clearly. Okay, but um, in, in the realm of movie making, I'm thinking, is it worth it? And in, it is absolutely worth it because it's one of the best action scenes of all time. And it's so realistic that, uh, what is it, the Marine Corps or whatever, they use it in videos sometimes to show people how to properly retreat when you're under gunfire. Like, apparently Val Kilmer was excellent with firearms. He couldn't wait to do that scene because he has a lot of history with... Uh, fire. I, I, don't, I guess he was raised around guns. I, I don't know his full history, but he was, apparently he was very good at it. Pacino and De Niro trained a lot with LAPD. Michael Mann says he, that they could both outshoot like 95% of the LP, LAPD at the time, which... Probably doesn't bode well for LAPD, but. (laughs) Well, even that, think of how much that movie and that scene has inspired pop culture since then. I mean, you want to talk about Grand Theft Auto? He did things like he has actual mics on on set. I'm talking about video games. I'm talking about like any pop culture because like Grand Theft Auto, like how much of that, of those heists are influenced by that. The entire game payday is basically just. Uh, it's Heat, the video game. I'm sure they just couldn't get the license for it. But like, it's amazing how the much of it has because a scene of, like that. How 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 great that scene is because of how much it has impacted culture. I mean, and that it's only the movie's only from '95. You know, it, it's worth it, and I don't care that it was a stupid move by Fitzhanna. I'm glad that they put it in there. I didn't care how they did it. Oh, it's a, again, it yeah. makes the movie great. It's just when you're thinking about characters and all that, I, mean, just, I can't help but say that Vincent Hanna is a sociopath. <laughs> Oh, you're calling him a sociopath, but nobody has discussed specifically the scene where I was like, that's very weird. You've touched on when he is at the crime scene of the dead hooker that Wangro kills. But when Vincent Hanna shows up, he makes a joke about uh, another cop going through that man's pockets. He's like, get it. don't go through that man's pockets. I'm like, this is, I think the <laughs> Wait, family that's a, is That's at right the end of there. the first, that, that's at the, yeah, that's oh. a security guard. 
oh, okay, this okay, the yeah. security. That's yeah. when I knew he was a sociopath. I'm like, there's a bunch <laughs> of dead bodies around, and you're cracking jokes about going through somebody's pocket. I mean, I so, may, uh, it might have been the cocaine talking. I don't know. So Michael Mann says the way that you're supposed to think about them, or the way that he sees them, is they are not two sides of the same coin. They are completely different people. And his thing is, uh, Neil is a sociopath, and Vincent is, and he specifically does have that the uh, the scene where Ringo is a prostitute for that. And a lot of the Natalie Portman stuff is to show that too. I also do wonder if the Natalie Portman stuff is supposed to be a little bit involved with like Neil growing up without a father, like maybe, maybe, or sorry, uh, Vincent growing up without a father. Like maybe Vincent thinks like that could have been him. If he does, if he is not hunting, he could turn into the soul that like feels like they've lost purpose in life or something. That's just a personal thought. Maybe it's not quite there. Every character has a backstory. Um, and in Vincent's backstory, he doesn't, his father died when he was very young. There's a heat book coming out in a couple years. God that, damn it. Uh, Wait a that It comes out August of this year, Andrew. And there's does. my time. Oh, capsule. is that a time capsule? Yeah. Oh. I'm sorry. Cut, cut that out, Brett. Mark, here, you know what? No, I just I, marked it in the audio. You can cut it out. But I, every um, Michael Mann, look, he wrote a history for every single character. Every character has that. And that is part of Vincent Hanna's history. How do you, okay, Andrew, let's just get into it real quick then. How, how do you feel about that book? Because clearly it's Michael Mann giving his notes of heat to an existing crime author. Is this going to be a must read for you? I wouldn't say must read. Uh, I think it would be an interesting read. You'd have to, you have to really be in the heat as I am. So I'll probably read it, but I think it's probably, yeah, it's going to be somebody organizing the notes of the stories that he made for every character. And it's apparently supposed to also go into what happens to them after heat. Yes. Yes. Uh, very, personally, very like I'm, exercise. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with the way that he plays out and that's all that I really need from the characters, but it, it could be interesting. It'd be nice to know, like, how did, you know, how did Vincent Hanna get his, uh, his watch that he wears all the time? You know, like maybe, maybe we can have Disney come in and make some notes for him. <laughs> yeah. I Where heard did Neil learn to starch his collars? You know, you and McGregor mm -hmm. is interested. <laughs> well, if we're talking about them being social, I do love the attention to detail in the background of a lot of these scenes. Like I noticed it the most at Neil's house when he has all of the space. If you look at his cabinets, they're glass, all the, the glass ones. He only has a set of like four plates, four cups, and like so he has all of these these cabinets, but they're not filled with anything. And I think it's absolutely like again, it's those little subtle things that I love in movies where it's like it goes to that character, like there isn't a bunch of stuff. He literally has the absolute minimum of what he has. Even the the architectural style of his home, it's like it's so bare minimum. To him, it really is just about I think the thrill of of the the chase in terms of of stealing like he has everything he could possibly want and he doesn't want much he just enjoys you know the heist the it is weird though right like you're doing all these heists you have a lot of money why buy a really nice house in, i think it's supposed to be a malibu so this is a very expensive mm. house but he has nothing in it and he probably doesn't entertain very often and even if he does he doesn't have any furniture he only has like four plates it just seems weird and suspicious. Like, why not just buy a pre-furnished house or something? Or a small I apartment. Back to, I, I know you're saying that a man condo. said that they're not two sides of the same coin and all that, but I think there's still similarities of both of the characters, and that's why they're able to relate and why, you know, 
Vincent Hanna such has such a respect for Macaulay is because he can see a certain level himself. Because I think Macaulay is just his heart is only in the thievery. It's only in the heist. So the rest of it is just, there's nothing for him to occupy that space with because all he cares about is the next job, the next, you know, gig. You say that. And I always thought that because I mean, he literally has the, the life mantra of never allow yourself to get attached to anything. You're not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds. And yet this whole movie, he does not follow that discipline. (laughs) Like, he, Val Kilmer's character, I don't know why he's so dedicated to Chris in this movie. I have a question for you then. And not Mike. I Is he dedicated to Chris? Yeah. Because when he, he goes he back. He goes against no, his own rule. When he goes back, because I thought about that in that scene, when he goes to the wife and says, you're going to take him back this last time and if he fucks up again, like whatever, does he care about Chris or does he just need Chris to be sharp because they're going to do one last big job and he doesn't want Chris to be a loose no, cannon? No, but then, but then after Chris gets shot, though, he goes to the effort to still make sure he's okay. That's true. So that's that's what I'm getting at. And then, yeah. Well, I, the biggest one, Travis, right, is going back to qu- to kill Wingro. Exactly, exactly. In the t- I love that scene when he's in the tunnel and he makes that decision, but I'm like, our main character supposedly lives by this code and brett we've talked about living by codes we love that Mm -hmm. but the only two times we see neil have the opportunity to live by that code he doesn't do it i i I am wondering if it going off with uh edie might be breaking the code well, because that, a, that's an attachment. Wingro is not an attachment. Wingro is a liability. If he ever wants to come back to the U.S., commit crime or whatever, Wingro's out there. That that could potentially get in his way. So maybe he thinks of it that way. Or Wingro has got some of his friends on the hook. Uh, maybe well, there, I, I might be reaching, but inter- and no, I'll, I'll I, say that. I, I'm sorry. sorry I, I have to ask this. So you're saying basically that he is following his own code because he knows if he stays with Edie, he no longer can. You're attached. He's attached. He's officially attached. Yeah. So he thinks, let me just close off this loose end and I'll go back to being completely unattached. Right. That's interesting. That That's okay. my so, thought. I like that. My, I like that. I, I think that he, it is supposed to be him making a new leaf or changing, you know, his ways. Making um, making a new leaf? I, I don't remember. What's the, my brain? Turning over. Turn, a turning a leaf. leaf. Turning a leaf. Turning a leaf. Yeah, turning yeah. a leaf. Thank you. <laughs> The scene that establishes when he's he officially makes that change is when they're having the big dinner with all of his 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 crew and he sees all the families and he gets up because I thought first that that was going to be him like he's uncomfortable like he doesn't like again going to the whole sociopath uh, 30 seconds get away from like he doesn't want to become attached to these people so I thought it was actually him getting up because he needed to get away because he saw all of these families but then he no it's when he needs to go and call Edie right. And that's the moment where he does break his code and he's he's turning into a new person. Um, what's interesting is that he winds up then abandoning Edie at the at the airport. I think uh, so. Michael Mann talks a lot about um, I don't know how well this comes across in the movie, but when people are in prison, that it kind of compresses time. It's like a, that T.I. song. You only do two days in jail the day you get in the day you go home. But uh, he he talks about Neil as being a guy who basically is trying to figure out what is the meaning of life after a while. He's in prison. He has nothing to do. He's trying to figure out what do I do with time? 
So he starts reading all these books, a lot of philosophy and everything like that. And you can maybe come out thinking like, oh, well, if I have this, that, or the other in my life, then I give a purpose. And for him, it's maybe him trying to figure out that purpose. And that is Edie. If I have Edie, I've got a purpose. I can't live without her. Otherwise, everything I'm doing is nothing. And then that must just be a constant struggle with trying to live by this code because that's how you survive. Maybe maybe that, I, I guess the, that kind of comes across, but that might have needed more explanation in the movie. Yeah, 100 It's tough for me to separate myself from a person who has listened to the Michael Mann commentary and seen this movie a hundred <laughs> times. Because what yes. you're saying makes a lot of sense, Andrew, but at the same time, if I'm somebody like Brett and this is the second full time I've watched the movie, I'm like, none of that's actually in here. Well, it, and it, beyond that, I mean, the thing is, the code is to keep you alive, right? It's like you if you want to stay because he says that if you want to stay alive, you have to be able to cut ties with anything you have in 30 seconds to get away. Ultimately, he dies in the end because he wasn't able to do that. Like, it'd be interesting to see if you actually looked at the timestamp of when he's getting to get into the car with Edie and he realizes that Vincent Han is on him if it took more than 30 seconds. Because to me, that would be an amazing touch if man put that in that it was like 32 seconds. And because it was over 30 seconds, he, he didn't survive. Like, he, he didn't cut ties in 30 seconds like he was supposed to. But that's the kind of thing, like, you're, you're looking at me weird, but, like, that's the kind of stuff you put in, like, the artsy-fartsy bullshit, right? I'm only looking at you that way because I'm pretty sure I saw a Reddit thread talking that actually did time it. And I think it was, it still fit in with Neil's code. As far okay, as so it was, an under, it was under 30 seconds? Yeah. As far as once he recognized what was going on, it took him 12 seconds, which kept us under the 30. I just yeah. pictured you, Brett, watching that scene with uh, like a machine gun, but you've got a stopwatch <laughs> on the end, just like Neil's crew during the first heist, which I'm like, just maybe maybe just use your watch. I don't know that you need a whole separate like a track timer. Oh, boy. So um, I wanted to talk about Edie. <laughs> Something I don't think Michael Mann does very well is romance. Uh, maybe yeah. in his real life, I think he does it very well, considering he spent months going out at night in L.A. trying to uh, figure out shooting locations. He's going out with LAPD detectives and stuff like that. Um, and he's never been divorced. This is not a Ewan McGregor situation. But Macaulay and Edie is very weird. Edie is also very weird because she is a graphic designer from Kentucky. Not unlike Brett and I. Mm -hmm. uh, but she yep. went to school in New York at Parsons, moved to L.A., and now... So Parsons is supposed to be a, a great school for design, but she works at a bookstore and just does part -time. a little... Part-time. does a little <laughs> bit of freelance on the side, but lives in one of the most scenic houses on the hillside of L.A. above Sunset, which is not... I did notice that house. I, I, I lived in L.A., not in the 90s, but that is very expensive real estate even Wait, to Wait, that was her house? I thought that was Neil's house. The, Did the, she move in? The one up in the mountains. Like when, that was when her house? The first date, that's her house that she rents. Wh Neil's which house is, is the, the one empty Malibu one. Which one is the one where he leaves the, the aspirin or the, the, the glass of water? That's her, that's her house. That was her fucking house? His house is when Chris is crashing on the floor I, and has no furniture. Yeah. 
for that's some reason, house I always yeah. conflated those as the same house. So yeah, now I have a major problem <laughs> that with is, her bookstore. That is her salary. house. Holy shit! Yeah. Well, uh, and even that's. Yeah, you know, I, I I don't want this to wind up just being negative about the movie because again, we did love it, but that was one of the other little things I had. I was like, I don't feel that Neil and Edie's relationship was earned by the end. And it, again, this comes back to the hearing that this was supposed to be a series. I'm like, yeah, they would have expelled on a lot of that, and they had to condense it because it's just a matter of like they started. They, she reached out to him, they started dating, and then all of a sudden she finds out that oh, he shot a ton of cops out in the middle of the LA streets, robbed a bank, and it's like, yeah, I'm not a salesman. I'm actually a, a crook. You can come with me if you want to. I want you to. Okay, you're going to. Awesome. Like, what? What is his appeal? Like. I, to me, they they never establish what his appeal to her is and what her appeal is to him. It's just a matter of he's he's hey, trying to set together. He's trying to set the tone that L.A. is a lonely place. She hasn't been able to talk to a lot of people. She finally has somebody that she can connect with a little bit. She doesn't know anybody there. She doesn't like the city. So Neil is kind of like her her crutch in the city. Um, I I don't think that it's done translates well, well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what I do think is done very well, though, is maybe the, the relationship between Chris and, uh, I always forget her name, Ashley Judd's character. Charlene. Charlene, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, they have an interesting backstory that he wrote for them, which might be more interesting than what plays out in the movie between them. <laughs> but uh, if you remember, when she waves off Chris, she does that little thing with her hand, the swipe. Mm-hmm. And that's supposed to be a blackjack move that if you were dealing at a blackjack table, that means, I don't, Travis, you know, I don't really know. You're done? Yeah, that's basically just don't ask, you don't hit again, basically. Yeah. You're, you're on so 17, the, the next card is not going to help you, forget it, yeah. Their backstory was like, sh- they met in Vegas, you know, he was a gambling junkie, she was a call girl, and now she's trying to leave that life, come in, start a family, solidify things, but... She's still if you've seen wise. the movie Casino, it's very much De Niro and Sharon Stone in the movie Casino. Same kind of relationship. That's not one of the hundred movies you've seen, is it, Andrew? You haven't not seen that. Casino? Uh, <laughs> I've seen Casino. It's been a while. Uh, I need to. I need to rewatch Casino, and I need to rewatch uh, Goodfellas. I have a problem with Goodfellas. And it's not good. That'll be another fault. podcast. Yeah, that's a whole. That'll be podcast, another podcast. But... <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, I, I derailed you there, Andrew. It, some of the female parts in here, I, I excuse it a bit because I think that they are supposed to be based on the relationships that he found between people that he met coming out of prison and the relationship with their wives. But they're not exactly the greatest. Edie, I don't know. I, yeah, I just feel like you almost could have cut her out of the movie or something yeah that's another one it's like it just it was added time that i don't know if it really truly adds to the movie or the or the characters and it's one of those things if you had a series i'm sure you could expel on that and you could make it worthwhile but when you when you got the budget and the talent and you realized you were going to be making a, a movie i think those are some of the things that despite you wanting to do it it, you just cut it to so it makes a cleaner story. So you don't have these weird hanging elements that don't don't really they don't I won't say they detract from the movie, but they don't add to it. And because they don't add to it, they kind of wind up being these glaring marks where you're like, what were we going with this? Or what what was supposed to happen here? Yeah. You want to talk about something I liked? Let's do it. Something I love in this movie. I think Michael Mann brings out the best in actors and actresses. 
I think I am getting De Niro, Pacino, Val Kilmer, uh, Kevin Gage as Wayne Grow. I think we're getting the best out of all Tom these performances. Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore, especially. Whoo! Oh, he does such a good move. Such a good job. Uh, Kevin Gage, though, I really like because the other movie that I've seen him in is Con Air, and he's the guy that harasses uh, Nick Cage in the very beginning. There's no way you think it could play a guy like Wayne Grow, but I just feel like he does an excellent job as playing somehow a very charming, racist, bigot, murderous <laughs> Nazi. The fact yeah. that he saves his cup to get free refills. I, I love that. Such a yes. good little character <laughs> moment. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Kevin Gage did time in real life. They, uh, I think just for growing weed. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. And they called him Wayne Grow when he was in jail. Because um, you, I, I don't, you absolutely should. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he's done much else, but I look at con air and i'm like there's no way this guy would have given this sort of performance and i think he just crushes his job as uh wayne grow and i think pacino and de niro too um it's probably my favorite performance from from both of them in any movie and i love god i love godfather yeah pacino in this movie is god is he's so fantastic i mean (laughs) we you talk about cocaine and all that but i'm like his performance and the way he delivers lines, like you couldn't get anybody else to do that. Like it is, it is a Pacino delivery, and I absolutely love so. Even when it feels so over the top, it's almost comical. It still feels so so appropriate. Like he's like that ass. <laughs> You're just like I absolutely love every scene that Pacino is in. Get killed walking your doggy. <laughs> but yeah, that you know is what they're good- looking at. You know what they're looking at. LAPD. You just got made. This guy. This guy. What do we got? Because De Niro is great in this movie, but I think there are other actors that could do that subdued rage below the surface, whereas the Pacino delivery... Alright, you're getting into something else that that I love to talk about. And like everyone that, you know, Bill Simmons talked about this on the podcast and everything, of who won the movie... I'm very much in the camp that Pacino, I could replace De Niro, but I couldn't replace Pacino. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be great. I would keep De Niro above anybody else, but I could potentially have the same movie with someone else, but with without Pacino, I, I just couldn't. Yeah, but here's the thing. If this movie had come out before Scent of a Woman... I would agree with you, but I'm like, you're just kind of doing the scent of a woman thing. Again. I've never seen Santa. It's not in my 100. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, that's definitely the movie because that's when he won his. I think it was his first Oscar. Might might be his only Oscar. Surprisingly. You s- well, it definitely wasn't from Heat, uh, which I guess we can talk about later. But uh, have you seen the there was a round? What are they called? I don't know what they're called. It was a discussion with Christopher Nolan where he interviewed Michael Mann and the entire cast of Heat. Probably a round table or a uh, panel. Yeah, probably a panel. Like a panel or I was going to say round table, but that doesn't sound right. No, I've not either. seen that. Oh, yeah, you can find it on YouTube. It's excellent. But uh, I was wishing that you had seen it because I'm pretty sure Pacino says that he did a little bit of coke while he was doing that movie where he's basically like, I think it's been long enough that I can tell you guys like, 
Yeah, that that was a basis for him. And, uh, you know, that that might have also been what was happening behind the scenes to help me uh, <laughs> do that character. Yeah, he, he's a method actor, right? <laughs> he's a, I, I might have totally mistranslated how he said that because he kept it kind of cryptic. But it, it, to me, it made it seem like he was doing he was doing a couple bumps while trying to play uh, Vincent Hanna. Yeah, I think what he fails to mention is it wasn't in preparation for that role. It's just <laughs> from like 1978 to 95, he was a cocaine user. Again, Scarface. Yeah, I'm, I'm speculating. You know, yeah. I'm not liable for any of that. But well, the original point you're making, I, I still believe this. I think you can replace. I love De Niro in this movie. I think you can replace him. He's easier to replace than Pacino. If you replace Pacino with somebody else, even delivering the same lines, I think you have a different movie. Like there's just the way he delivers Vincent Hanna, I think is very unique to this movie and, and adds so much to it. So who would you replace them with today? If you had to redo heat today, who are you replacing De Niro with and Pacino with De Niro? I'm going to do uh, <laughs> you can Ryan go Gosling. last Travis. Cause I, you, have you thought about this? Ooh, no, but Ryan Gosling is. If we were going historically, you could put Jack Palance in either role. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean yeah. If we could do Jack Palance like a City Slickers thing where he has a twin and it's actually just Jack, <laughs> Jack Palance's Pal- both two Jack Palance. That's what I would love to see. In weren't this you movie. just talking about but, Jack Palance and uh, yeah, the we're Terminator? We're always talking about Jack Palance. Okay, <laughs> we are the number one. We are the Jack Palance fan club. All right. Wait, would you say that we're Jack Palance's number one guy? <laughs> absolutely um I, for for de niro i would i think i would do ryan gosling i think he would especially just coming off of crazy stupid love and then even seeing him in like blade runner i think he could pull off that i get it drive drive yeah, I drive i think he could pull off that role very well as a modern vincent Hanna. that's an interesting one i would have to think a little bit more about i'll give you my two Okay. And I'll go. I'll go. Hannah first, and he's right behind Travis. I think I, I would. I would gauge on Matthew McConaughey, True Detective, to kind of pull on that a little bit. Maybe that's kind of stupid since he already played a cop, but that was about the to closest modern day person. Yeah. I, I think, can, can I throw mine out real quick for Hannah? Oh yeah. I might go Tom Hiddleston. I think he could do that kind of crazy manic energy a little bit. Yeah. I mean, seeing him in Bronson, yeah. Wait, are you talking about Tom Hardy? I I said Tom Tom Hiddleston. (laughs) Loki. I was thinking, I I mean, I could see Tom Hardy pulling the same kind of crazy manic energy. But yeah, Yeah, actually, Tom Hardy's a pretty good one, yeah. Well, if it was Tom Hardy, it would make sense as to why he can beat up Henry Rollins. Because when Pacino (laughs) beats up Henry Rollins in this movie, I'm like, on what fucking planet is Al Pacino hip-tossing Henry Rollins. Here's my De Niro. Idris Elba. And I don't think this makes a lot of sense unless you have seen The Wire. I feel like Idris Elba as... Uh, God damn it, why I forget his name? It's because I'm on Stri- a podcast. Stringer names, Bell? Uh, Stringer Bell, yeah. I feel like that is a, an appropriate sort of sociopath, and he's at that age where I feel like he could do a good Neil McCauley. I think I also have a deep sentiment that Idris Elba, for some reason, didn't get the roles that he should have after the Stringer Bell role. That 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 was just an incredible performance that he never quite got to do again. But I think that that could have worked out as a uh, Neil McCauley sociopath. 
I've got to think about Hamilton. Who would you replace Chris with? I would Travis? replace him with the guy that Michael Mann wanted to play the role originally. Who's for a that? modern day version or for the then version? I mean, really either because he's, yeah. he's ageless, but Keanu Reeves. Oh, really? Interesting. He was the original choice, but opted to do Hamlet on stage. <laughs> hmm. Good for Keanu. Uh, um, I would it change feels the like movie you don't agree bit. with that. You don't think Keanu would have been good in that role? Like the dead eyed, like I've got a I gambling dis- problem. I want to discuss this right now. So I think Val Kilmer kills that role. Agreed. But so badly do I want to. I, I don't know that it's better, but I. Ha- it's almost like I have to see the Keanu Reeves version, especially at this time with Michael Mann as your director. So here's the problem is I would change the tone of the movie a little bit with my pick, but I think I would put Ryan Reynolds in that. It's just kind of a wisecracking gambling addict kind of sidekick. I, hate, I think he I adds the that. charming, the char. I don't know if I, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see him as, even though he's a very disciplined person, discipline and acting like in his characters doesn't quite come off the way that I would need it to. Okay. It feels like as portrayed, Chris maybe used to be a Ryan Reynolds level of charisma, but he has fallen headfirst into gambling and God knows what other addictions. Yeah. So I think Ryan Reynolds would be a little too vibrant for I've that got two. performance. Okay. Okay. Um, Michael B. Jordan. Too I'm clean cut. Like- too clean cut. Yeah. See, I, okay. Uh, I had a thought just because I watched all the Marvel movies recently. Know, if he's I'll, I'll give you that, Michael B. Jordan. I'll give you Michael B. Jordan for Michael. What about Shia LaBeouf? Is that a stupid? No, I because like he's Shia so LaBeouf. like. I think Shia LaBeouf. I feel like he's difficult to work with because he would probably be late all the time or something. But I do feel like he could naturally just be that person. Like I, I would believe it in a heartbeat. A lot of talent, but a lot of problems. Yeah, Which I and think I think that Chris is perfect character. for Chris. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Shia LaBeouf was in Transformers. He was also an Even Stevens. Brett, you, are you looking <laughs> him up? I'm not familiar. No. Mm-mm. Weird. Speaking of like Tom Sizemore, that's very difficult to replace. That fucking stare he gives that guy when he looks over after Neil slams Wayne Grove's head up against the booth. <laughs> Just that complete death stare. Oh, yes. So God. good. For me, the action is the juice. The action I, I, is Yeah, I don't know who you'd slick. replace Sizemore with. That might be the most irreplaceable person on this cast. <laughs> I think, going back to Brett, I think you could do Tom Hardy there, though. Yeah. Or hey, yes. here's my hot take. He's yeah, probably actually, he's like probably that. way too old, but Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Ooh. Uh I think Charlie Sheen's a little too unhinged. I mean, did you see Michael Chirito in this movie taking the fucking eight year old girl hostage? Just yeah. I did not <laughs> yeah. have a second thought about it. That's it's Tiger Blood. Him as a, do I see him as a tough guy though? Fair. That's, fair. Yeah, it's a little tougher. But I like the mentality. I, li- I like that thought. I, I could see a, a little bit younger version of him as a Chris. Hollywood is just so pretty and polished yeah. now. It's hard to recast those. So here you go. Here you go. <laughs> I, I forget the movie we watched while I was up there, Travis. Odd, odd case, uh, completely out of their normal wheelhouse. What about a, a Danny McBride? If A straight Danny McBride. 
Wait, well, he's not trying to be doing a bumbling Michael asshole. Chirito? Doing Tom yeah. Sizemore? Where he's not uh, trying to be a bumbling no. ass. The like, accent kind of throws it off, yeah. And he doesn't have that menace to him. Like, he couldn't do that stare across the table and shut somebody up instantly. <laughs> like, that. that's not in Danny McBride's wheelhouse. All right, fair enough. I um, think I'm making the comedy version of this movie on accident. Which is fine, because, Jesus Christ, uh, I can't believe you pulled that. Um, <laughs> I was going to say something about that. Never mind, I, I lost much train of thought. Do we have anything else we want to say in, in our five-point inspection of this movie before we move on? I mean, Michael Mann does a fantastic job. The lighting in this movie, a lot of the shots are absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. Um, you know, Andrew, oh. you kind of joked. We just came off <laughs> of doing on. the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. It's, it's night and day. Yeah, so my other big problem with this is um, one of the reasons I... Man, Michael Mann is very... He might be my favorite director of all time. I know, Brett, you think I'm a Nolanite, but Michael Mann, when he does... like. Between this Miami Vice and Collateral and the Miami Vice movie. So you're trying just, to tell me you're a man man? I might uh, be I a man still man. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm a man's man. Oh my God. Shot so well. Be, I think there is something to being a director who can also be behind the camera and just knows how to frame up a shot, how to light, how to set, how to set tone. Who I could probably be a DP on his own. Um, but one of my biggest problems, Edie's house. The green screen. If this doesn't bother oh, you guys, so it makes me feel bad. bad. Okay, yeah. thank God, thank God. No, and he's he's think, talked about so this. It's it's early green screen, and I think what the problem is is what I realized is like, I don't think he set the camera on a tripod, or I think they were holding it. And the problem is that there's a slight movement, and because the background doesn't move at all, it just becomes very apparent that they're not actually there. Uh, the bigger problem is the lighting doesn't really match. Um, that, that doesn't either. Yeah, it's funny the way that he puts it is. Um, it doesn't apply now but he's like look back then i had everything the way that i wanted it but i just couldn't shoot them on the background because the cameras couldn't make the shot and i'm like oh yeah now you could buy a two thousand dollar sony camera that can do that perfectly mm -hmm. uh, but they're probably like twenty forty thousand dollar cameras back then it's so difficult to shoot night you could see a little bit even in collateral as collateral is a more modern movie but it is very difficult to shoot dark scenes like that and the man is a night owl that's all that's probably what he loved to shoot the most. Um, and he just couldn't get the shot down right. It's almost one of the things that I would forgive if they somehow just reshot that or deep faked <laughs> the characters on other actors or something because it's so badly done. All or this, would you go back to... Scenes. What's, where is there a cut of this movie where Edie's not in it at all? Like, <laughs> she's just... That whole plot is taken out of the yeah. fucking movie. <laughs> And instead of deep faking, you someone just goes through and painstakingly cuts her out of every scene. So every he's just frame. driving in the car by himself. And like, and no, he just goes to escape the country and decides that he has to get revenge instead. You yeah. know, but I, I just love how much he's he's into that sort of part of the movie where he can dissect why that kind of looks a little bit off. And he talks about like, this is the only thing that we had to do on the green screen because I just could not get the shot that I wanted at night. It was you know, pretty early in the green screen stuff. And, uh, yeah. Have either of you Did ever you? listened to a Michael Mann commentary? I have not. Like Andrew to today. No, this week. Yes. <laughs> well, I've listened to the heat, the heat one, and I've read a lot of interviews with them and, uh, his interview on the Bill Simmons podcast too. God. Yeah. So I just, there's certain, 
commentary tracks on movies where I'm like, I wish the director had been a little more informative. I wish there had been a little more conversation. Michael Mann is the complete opposite of that. Like some commentaries, you'll go five minutes and just hear the audio of the movie. Michael Mann, wall to wall, will give you all the information you could ever want to know or <laughs> not want to know about the filmmaking process. So if you pause in, the movie here, I need I need to talk more about this before it moves on. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like his commentaries, if left to his own devices, would be longer than the film itself. And I mean that's a compliment. You can tell how much pull he has in a movie, um, which I think is great. That speaks to a director as opposed to certain other projects that I've been involved with with this podcast. <laughs> where maybe that one person side. quite Yeah. Sorry, it was a side hustle. Uh <laughs> Uh, I, I read an interview with um, the person she was in charge of the locations. And as I'm going through, I was I was really interested. I, I lived in L.A. for five years and I just wanted to go through like all the different places they were at. And uh, it didn't seem like she had that much control over it, though. It seemed like Michael Mann was on top of every single place that they were going to shoot. And to the point that it seemed like it was kind of frustrating for her and like one of the major places that she, I can't remember what it was, if it was the bank or what, but um, she was just super proud of it. Cause she's like, it actually made it into the film. Like man actually wanted to shoot there, but there's certain weird things like Trejo's house. I, I didn't really realize this, but it's on those stilts. Yeah. On the edge. And it's sort of like Trejo being on the edge is kind of a little bit of a theme with that house up until his demise, you know? And I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Which they found um, the place where they meet Kelso, the guy who invents the internet. <laughs> they, I think they Listen, found they that just house have data. when they got Trejo's house. It's just so it's out right there, man. The like you just, I, just, I know how to pick it out of the air. Like it's just, it's, it's just floating he, up there. He's another one with a good backstory. Apparently, he was with DARPA. So he, if anybody would have had that information, it would have been him. But that, obviously, you don't know that from the movie. He's just some guy who invents the internet. <laughs> Which I don't think we've mentioned the video game Grand Theft Auto, but there's a character on Grand Theft Auto Five that is clearly just Tom Newton. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't. I've only played a hundred video games too. <laughs> I'm surprised Grand Theft Auto Five was not in that. Grand Theft Auto Online, whichever one we played, bro. That's the only one that I've played. That might. That's the one. Yeah, that's it. You just never got Lester. You never got to meet him. Uh. I think that was four. Anyway, this huh? doesn't matter. What, what are we it doing? It doesn't matter. What are we yeah. doing? Uh, so just quick side note before we move. I think we'll we'll move into our other segments here. But did you know that Collateral and the Transporter are in the same universe? Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, Fair did enough. you know that the beginning of... Okay, so the beginning of Heat... Is the Neil's riding the train... That's the same train as in Collateral. Yeah. Hmm. The blue line in L.A., baby. You think they met on that train? Do I think Neil McCauley got on the train to a dead Tom Cruise? Yeah. No, that would be reverse in time, right? We don't know what kind of train that is. Was mm -hmm. Risky time Business train? in L.A.? Was Tom Cruise banging Rebecca De Mornay <laughs> on the same train? <laughs> Love on a real train? What, what is was that he? one of Michael's children? Is is Tom Cruise and Collateral one of Michael's children from from Heat? I don't think the I don't think they match up. Yeah, I think that, no, Tom Cruise is no, too old. Yeah, he's yeah. a little old. Yeah. What was your first LA movie? It was Terminator Two, and then what was the first? Terminator, one? then uh, Crazy Stupid Love, 
and then Heat. I haven't seen that sound in the hundred. Yeah. Well, these two of those are great <laughs> LA movies. <laughs> Alrighty, gentlemen. I think we'll go ahead and get into some of our other segments. Next up, Blue Book. All right. So the estimated cost of this here flick was $60 million. Do you all want to guess what it brought in U.S. and Canada? Andrew? Knowing your extensive knowledge of fucking heat, Wait, I'm sure you, you already know, know this, Travis. This. Is it $180 million? Or is that I thought worldwide? it was 100. I thought 100, 120 is the number that's coming off my head, but I know that I heard the number recently. So US and Canada was 67 million. According to IMDb, and worldwide was about 187. Ah, you got it, Travis. Yeah, uh, well, I'm going to have to talk to Bill Simmons because it seems like his numbers are a little bit off, but this movie was I don't, I don't know what his sources are but according to the imdbs that's uh yes that's what it made this movie was fucking robbed in the oscars this is a good <laughs> point to bring that up and that it was nominated i believe for best actor best supporting actor best film uh a whole bunch of other shit did not win a single no Oscar. it was not nominated for any of that oh i thought it was nominated for a bunch of no, those did i listen to the, the bill thing. simmons it, it podcast wrong I, I only know this because I literally listened to the one you're probably thinking about right before we got on. It was not Ugh. even nominated for any of that. Oh, that's BS. So if if it had been, oh, 95 is when it would have 95, been. yeah, but what year? They would have been in the 96. Oscars. I was yeah. saying they would have been in the 96 Oscars. They would have lost to Nicolas Cage as leaving best actor in Leaving Las Vegas. Yep. Best film editing was Apollo 13. Uh, where Lifetime Achievement, I don't give a shit about. Lead actor, supporting actor. Best supporting actor was Kevin Spacey for The Usual Suspects. That aged well. <laughs> the movie or the actor? The actor. Best picture. <laughs> Do you want to guess what the best picture was? Braveheart. Braveheart. Braveheart, yeah. Braveheart was best picture. Which I've never seen. Are you kidding? Uh, no. I, it's not it that seems good. so long. I mean, it's, it's good. I, I, it's good. I, I Is it better either. than Heat? No, fuck Because no. it beat it out from the Oscars. Best director was Mel Gibson for Braveheart. Jesus fucking. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was no, nowhere in here. Best director. Again, not, not nominated for anything. That's my big, like, if you... Throw it I mean, I can see nomination. I can see Wayne Grow voting for Mel Gibson as a best director, but everybody else, come on, guys. Would you say that there were any visual effects aside from the shitty green screen in this movie? No, um, no, the, it no. was a hundred percent shot on location too. Yeah, yeah, I think there's like two scenes. That so they would said you say it's a been... documentary? <laughs> it is based on a real story. <clears throat> Just trying to see if there's anywhere else we could. Okay, Travis, here is my thing with the Oscars. Here is how I believe they should be done. I don't think I've ever told you this. It should be like the NFL Hall of Fame. You have to wait five years. Five years. And then we can go back and really see what are the best movies, who are the best actors, who are the best directors. Doing it year of, same year, recency bias, it's, it's stupid. Give it five well, years. Well, not only recency bias, but 
a lot of these Oscars are bought and paid for too. There would yeah. be way less uh, incentive for people to just bribe voters if it's if if it's five years later. Because it's interesting, something like Crash in two thousand four. Clearly, you give that five years, it's not winning. <laughs> but something like No Country for Old Men, five years later, that's still the best movie of that year for me. So yeah, yeah what about I, I yeah? Uh, we replace, we do our own. It's called The Mans. Instead of because nobody knows who Oscar is, we do the Michael Mans and whatever the best movie well, is five years ago that would win the man. Chris Hemsworth for Black Hat, best actor. No, I'm I'm alone on that one. Do you know is that ten percent of my hundred movies are Fast and Furious movies? <laughs> I think you're telling the truth, which is what makes me sad. <laughs> Boy, oh boy. Heat, I have to oh. count three times because of how many times I've seen it. Are there alternate cuts of this movie? Is there a director's cut too? Because at that point, you actually could have multiple versions of the movie. Man did make some tweaks for the Blu ray as far as omitting lines, but. Oh, was it? I, I wasn't Lucas sure what level. was the. Di- I know that he um, he digitally altered a couple scenes, uh, just like the coloring. He's like, I would have done this a little bit differently, but it was impossible back then. Um, mm-hmm. Just playing very nerdy stuff like with the shadow levels and highlights and maybe blocking someone's eye that was kind of in the shadows, but still, uh, I just, I assumed he made Macaulay shoot first. <laughs> I'm so impressed how quickly you're able to come up with that because in my mind, I had to replay that scene too. I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Gino Ben, do you want to get into some tag and title? All righty. So this movie actually has some alternate alternate titles that i wanted to share with y'all um in argentina and in most actually spanish-speaking markets this movie was renamed fire against fire the fuego contra fuego yeah in hungary it was face to face italy it was heat the challenge and my two personal favorites in taiwan it's called Fire Warrior. <laughs> and in China, it's called Pirates of Fire. According to Google Translate. So, yep. Is it? I, I wonder, is it just because there's maybe a popular movie with that name already established in these places? I have no. I honestly, this is when I thought that it might happen because heat is obviously a reference to like the police coming and you've got the heat on you, right? That's, and it's. Yeah. I don't know if that is slang that translates to other markets. So this is one that I was actually very interested to see if it did change depending on the country that it was doing it. So I have no idea if Fire Warrior or Pirates of Fire is you know slang for the popo coming after you, but I personally love them. Are you all ready to do taglines? Yeah, I'll be honest. As much as I know about this movie, I couldn't tell you a single tagline. So I hope you, I mean, if you even brought your B game, Brad, you're going to stump me, I feel like. Yeah, unless it's a quote from the movie, we're not going to get this, or I'm not going to get this. All right, here we go. Let me look at my so, movie gentlemen, <laughs> I was Don't looking you at it on the camera. Motherfucker. <laughs> All right, so gentlemen, I'm going to give you three taglines. One tagline is an official tagline for this movie. One tagline is for a movie I found adjacent. 
and one tagline is created by yours truly. What I need you to do is tell me what the official tagline for 1995's Heat is. Are you ready? I'm sorry, but every time, Travis, you look down, I see a reflection from your glasses, and I keep thinking that you're just watching Heat on a telephone <laughs> while we're doing a podcast. It's an, em- it's an empty telephone, though, Andrew. <laughs> uh, you got to get the landline, man. They can track you if it's on a landline. Yeah, you're talking to a dead three guesses right now. I fucking love... God, I love that scene so much. See, that's the problem. Like, we focus on the stuff that you're saying. This movie is fucking great, and there's so many great lines in it, William too. William Fitchner as uh, Van Stan. That's so Van Zandt. good, yeah. yeah. His pair, I've been living in my office for six days. What's How many days? This is very <laughs> subtle, but when he is talking about, um, I think, killing Neil or something after that, he just goes back to his computer and just like... He just makes like this click noise and goes back to typing like nothing's happening. I, it's just a very little touch. And a very good cut that I, I just love about this movie. That, that sort of little detail. Um, huh? uh, I, I read a little tidbit. I don't know if you guys saw it on IMDb, but they were talking about Van Zant and the fact that he was watching hockey when he hockey? got killed. Yeah. And Neil comes through the glass, and it's, you know, Neil's crew at the beginning wears the hockey mask, and kind of Van Zant thought he was an outsider to this world, just a spectator. And once he fucks over Macaulay, he becomes part of the game. And, you know, by the end, he's killed because that glass that separates a fan from a hockey match is broken. I have no Fuck, idea. That's, if that's so good. I have no idea <laughs> if that's Shit. somebody just reading a lot into the movie or if that's Michael Mann. But I'd like to think it's Michael Mann. OK, well, ju- just another sidebar. Remember when Neil is leaving Edie and he gives her that glass of water that's wrapped in a paper towel? Yep. That's not just a stupid thing or something that I thought adults did that I just never learned. It's apparently like when Michael Mann was in a prison, um, like because of how limited you are in things you can do, he was like origami, like just doing something as simple as origami with a paper towel. He saw someone do it like, that's an expression of freedom that you have in prison that you don't have in the outside world. I saw someone do that and I wanted to put it in a movie. And this is Neil's way of just sort of like extent, like expressing himself to her so he does that little thing with a paper towel like that's kind of a romantic gesture on his part yeah yeah damn damn something that he gets out of prison Hmm. yeah i could see why bill simmons had to do three heat podcasts because we have also chris chris shaherless is the only one wearing a different colored mask in the opening robbery and he's the only one that lives from the crew Uh, i never noticed he's wearing the black mask though i did notice for some reason i thought that was neil like the leader mask we're not delaying, Brett. We're just talking about the movie. That's part of the podcast. Right? I have confidence in you guys. I think you're going to make it, okay? I think you've got, you know, you're you're dedicated, you know? We didn't Home even free. mention Tone Loke. Is that weird? Who? That Tone Loke was in the movie? Now, I guess we don't have Surf Ninja fans in the house, huh? <laughs> I, I know Tone Loke, not from Surf Ninjas. <laughs> That's all that I know him from. Who was he in this? He's the he's the chop shop guy's brother that we meets at the nightclub. That oh, gives him Richard's information brother? on Slick. Yeah, yeah. Drucker? I'm hearing Richard. Alrighty. So I'm gonna give you the three taglines now, all right? You sons of bitches. Yes, I'm ready. Are you in or are you out? For me, the tagline LA are Redemption. The oh, oh <laughs> redemption. you're asking me a question. Start no, over. Brad. No, no, this is Start it. Over. So pay attention. All right. All right? Are you in or out? An LA Redemption. You've got 30 seconds. 
You've got 30 seconds. It's 30 seconds or less with Jesse Eisenberg, I'm going to guess. That's the extent of what I'm going to I was going to guess here. that, too. Like, well, I'm not even getting into Jason's this week. Are we just are we throwing in the towel that much? Uh, well, for a movie you all fucking love, I'm not getting a lot of love sorry, here. Are, are you in or are you out? And what was the other one? Are you in or out? In L.A. Redemption, you've got 30 seconds. Are you in or out, I think, is the Heat one. Like, yeah, I agree a quote with in the movie. Don Breland, yeah. Fuck, that's such a good scene, too. Mm -hmm. Right now, you decide, are you in or out? Yeah, fuck it. You know I'm cool, Neil. Travis, I haven't heard shit from you. They clearly haven't been listening. I said 30 seconds or less to Jesse Eisenberg movie. Okay. And the other one is... Sorry, Brett. Are you in or are you out? L.A. Redemption. Okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm, I'm, we're going to do my... Tra Oh, L.A. Redemption. Andrew, I, I think L.A. Redemption Andrew, is you, I want, I want your guesses first, and then I'll, I'll go to Travis, all right? Instead L.A. Redemption to, is to... yours. Are you in or are, okay. you, are you in or out is the tagline, and then the 30 seconds or less. Oh, man. Of the 100 movies I've seen, <laughs> I'm going to guess speed. Okay. That's not even the right miles an hour, but that's, that's all I got. Travis, now your guess. Uh... Considering I'm looking back at my poster and it says a Los Angeles crime saga, I'm thinking, yeah, you just tweaked an L.A. story to be based upon. So that's your creation. I agree with Andrew. 30 seconds or less. I'm going with the Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, so what does that leave? Well, no. The, are you in or out? Are you in or out? That's an official tagline. You both fucked up mis miserably. God. I mean, you guys are hiring Wayne Grove is what just happened. All right. <laughs> for your for your next heist. An LA Redemption is an official tagline for the movie. Are you in or out is from 2001's Ocean 11. Fuck. Ocean's 11 yeah. and you've got 30 seconds was created by yours truly. Jesus. What was redeemed? What was redeemed in this movie? There's no I have no idea. That's why I chose it cuz I thought it was a stupid ass fucking tag. <laughs> You know, we didn't even talk about the ending of this movie, how it is just maybe ends? the best ending. Did you know, right. Andrew, a... did you know that the song, the Moby song, originally, there's two Moby songs in this movie. One is when Macaulay... They go to the coffee shop. Yeah. Or before, yeah, when he catches them, yeah. Those songs were reversed initially, which I thought oh, was, I didn't was know that. dumb, but Michael Mann accurately was like, wait, this... God moving over the face <laughs> of the waters. This seems like it has a lot of gravitas. Maybe we should put this at the end of the movie, which thank God that decision was made. Yeah, absolutely. It's the perfect, it's the perfect song to end a movie with. And I love a good callback because he mentioned it in their, their one shared scene earlier. He's never going back to prison. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I need to go back. I have to go back and watch this movie because, guys, you talk about... I don't remember a single song in this movie at all. You don't remember don't the end I, song with the piano? I don't remember. I, and I'm a, I am a, a sucker for scores. I I don't know if I was listening to it too low because of how late I was. Or I, I, don't, I don't remember any music from this movie. You were listening... Brett, you need to listen to this with headphones. I, I'm serious. This is a movie that you need to be listening to at full yeah, volume I, I, with headphones. I don't care I, if you have two kids. I, I don't care I do if you're worried about something happening to your family. I don't remember anything about the music in this movie. 
I have the Heat soundtrack on the Plex server. I know you do. I'm I'm telling you, I don't remember anything about. I remember the music during even the beginning. The LA music is so good. The L.A. streets um, battle, and other than that, I do not remember any of the music from this movie. This might have to just go into a second podcast because of how long this is. But Brett, I did want to. <laughs> You can tell you me. You think I'm going to cut this into two episodes? <laughs> no, not cut it. No, like, he's saying we're going to record another yeah. night. Oh, yeah. we're going to do another heat. Yeah. Got it. You need or to rewatch it. it. I wanted to ask you if there were things that you thought were strange in this movie that you might think that I, I or Travis could explain. I mean, I brought up most of the stuff I thought was strange in this movie. A lot of it is around Wayne Grove. <laughs> And just it's not Wayne Grove. It's Wayne huh? Grove. What did I say? You said Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Grove. O'Connor. Mangrove. Yeah, Mangrove. Such a weird name for a crook, too. Mangrove. Sarah, Sarah O'Connor is one, is my favorite Terminator <laughs> Two character. Again, people, this is not a gimmick. I'm just that <laughs> bad with names. All right. I can't believe you don't remember the song from the fucking end of the That's movie. That's insane like, that you don't remember dude, that song. I, I, I legitimately have no... Yes, I have no recollection of the song. That scene, it doesn't matter how many times I if watched this movie. If you told me there wasn't music and it just ended with them in silence, I would believe you. That's I, how, I'm not even that's sure if you... Did you watch impact. the movie or did you just watch a trailer? No, because it's, it's in the trailer, too. Yeah. <laughs> Are that, you sh- are you sure that like they didn't lose music rights on Plex or something like that? It's borderline. Maybe you're just joking with us. Borderline, maybe. Who knows? We'll find out. Do you have a time capsule Wait, this when, week? When are we going to find out exactly on the reheat? Mm, I don't know. What maybe do, the next. Maybe the next heat yeah. podcast. We, I, at the end, right. we didn't even talk about how well Neil is using the lights to try and blind. Vince, oh. all right, no, there's a whole, I just right, feel like this will just be that a, was my wait, there I had the high ground there moment. Were lights at the end of the movie, Brett. Give me, yeah. give me this high ground moment. I just feel like, despite having a shadow, that Neil should have had the upper hand and should have taken down what I think was uh, happening is Neil thought he had time that Vincent wasn't going to see him, but Vincent. The dude's an ex-marine. He's been he's been with the force for so long. Like he just sees that shadow shoots, and that's that. I, I just I I the first couple times I watched it I didn't even know that that was what was happening, that Neil was using oh. the lights and timing it to blind, yeah Vincent. I mean sound strategy definitely had the high ground there. I, but, I uh, hate you so much right now, Brett. Why? Because of the song. How did you not listen? What to song? It? Are you sure there was a song? How do you guys know that you're not imagining this song? You're having the Mandela effect right now. You guys think that there was a song, but you're just thinking at the beginning of Gone in 60 Seconds. There actually wasn't a song there at all. Yeah, here's the oh, thing, Brett. Man. Here's how I'll defeat you, because I think I, I'm hoping you're honestly trolling about the song. But if you're not, I'll pull it up on my phone and have some shitty audio into this podcast. Hmm, God doesn't want me to hear the song. I'll pull it up on my phone. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Apparently, Moby just hangs out on the set of Heat. That's weird, right? <laughs> a little well, bit. He Moby, does have a Moby weird was... obsession with Natalie Portman, so that makes sense. <laughs> I almost brought that up earlier. Does she have good parents? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know I don't where know. you go yeah, with that. Just, I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like the roles that she took. Maybe as a parent, you might be like, maybe my daughter shouldn't be in these. I don't know. 
again fantastic song i get the emotion in it. do not remember the song at all i'm gonna have to go back and rewatch heat because of this stupid fucking song i mean or at least rewatch the last scene you don't re I, how did you not i it doesn't make any sense that you wouldn't remember that okay yeah that's why right, let's just I, move I, on it, yeah, it, yeah the, where are we at Andrew's time capsule or not time capsule? Oh no, wait, chop, wait. Chop. I want to no, talk we, more we about time this. No, I want to talk well, more. Yeah, I mean oh, yeah, Andrew, I guess time capsule. Yeah, we're going to the time. So it is his yeah, time let's capsule. Do, let's do the time capsule. So is there a book coming out or something like that? You can tell me. <laughs> yeah, I can also tell you that Keanu Reeves was the original choice for Chris Scherzer. Uh, I mean, if you Michael listen to Mann, the, oh, wait, did you huh? want the time capsule or did you not want it, Brett? Did you want it? I just I had this dream. <laughs> where I'm drowning. You know what it's about? Uh, fucking barbecues and ball games? It means that I feel like I, I don't have time, you know? You know uh, Michael really Mann happened, wanted but... Walter Hill to direct this initially. Walter Hill declined, so Michael Mann... What has like, Walter do Hill done? 48 Hours. <laughs> What's that face I've for? I've never seen 48 Hours, and I know that I need to. Like, we, we reviewed 48 Hours. <laughs> I know, it's on the list. It's... If you like casual racism, uh, you'll enjoy oh, never it. never mind. Yeah, no, it is <laughs> very casual. Yeah, that's the time capsule for this week. <laughs> Wait, nobody Andrew, was on I the believe, OC? I believe. After this? Uh, the, the, one of the lead, the lead actor that played Vincent Hanna in L.A. Takedown, he's dead. He died in a car accident shortly after <laughs> filming was completed. So that, I'm sorry go. for laughing if that's true. There oh, did you know no, that's, that the guy that's a that... Fact. Do you know the guy that plays um, Chris or uh, Chris's wife's uh, fling? Not fling, but uh, Hank is there. The guy from Vegas. Yeah, that he's Mo from The Simpsons. He's actually he's the a voice lot of, the of voices, Mo. Yeah, on is The he? Simpsons. Yeah, I did not know that. Him saying Jesus in response to the uh, "She's got a great ass" that was real. That was Hank Azaria. Not knowing what Al Pacino was fucking doing. Being afraid of Al Pacino. <laughs> because as you said, Andrew, apparently he was doing a little more than just method acting. I love that when he screams that, it looks like he's going to say big. Because he purses mm. his lips and then he just says, great. She's I was so happy to find that slow motion gif that I put in the... <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, well, it was a lot of fun doing the Chop Shop with you guys. Oh, yeah, I think this brings us to our final segment, the Chop Shop. Andrew... Our special guest, you have comedy. So tell us, how did you turn 1995's Heat into a comedy? All right. So we open up. See a passenger getting off a train. We just see a silhouette walking a little, a little strangely, like maybe a limp or something like that. We just we see them go down the escalator, and then they go by people, and it just starts hitting them by accident like oh, i'm sorry i'm sorry we get a close-up this person it's wearing a cloak but we can see the face it's a medical droid oh, God damn it. 
medical droid goes into the hospital, right? <laughs> Steal a medical, a medical ship. We cut to the next scene, right? And all of a sudden, from the back, we see Kumel Nanjiani. <laughs> he's in like this wholesale distributor and he's like, uh, hey, I'm here for my order of uh, thermal demolitionators. And the guy goes, okay. And he's just like, hey, look, I've got my ID right here. It's right here. I'm from Moss Eisley. It's a space canteen. He goes, okay, I don't need anything more than that. Completely oversells it. Complete, com just keeps talking and talking. Cut to the next scene. We see a tall robot, right? Going up to a semi. Is this robot holding anything? A Behind hammer? its back, this robot's holding a hammer. It's Robot Wayne Grow. <laughs> <laughs> we might need to make a new shirt, Travis. I'm just getting in. We this, might sorry, need Robot Wayne Grow. <laughs> Goes, knocks on the window. Who rolls down the window? Is it you and McGregor? Is it Obi Wan? R2 Chirito. So R R two is my mic, my Michael here. Rolls down the window, and he just goes beep boop, and then and then and then Robot Wayne goes Robot Wayne grow. So he lets him in, and then all you know Hammerbot is just blabbering about hammers. He's just talking like, oh, but you, you got to get a Dewalt Ryobi. You're a real man though. You go snap on that is the hammer that you get. And all of a sudden R two D two just goes beep boop. Brrr. Beboop. Now the brr means slick and droid. <laughs> so Wayne, Br wait, <laughs> Wayne Grow, Robot Wayne Grow just shuts the fuck up. So they do the heist, right? <laughs> they do the heist. <laughs> they ram into this truck or whatever. We got, we got R2 Chirito. Mike Chirito is the name in Heat, so R2 Chirito is, you know, it's ha ha ha. He's outside watching, make sure the heat's not coming. He's he's got the timer going, and then uh, Obi Wan dressed as a medical bot, a horrible horrible costume of a med bot, is inside <laughs> doing the job, uh, along with Kumel. But uh, what about Ringo? Can't get past one thing that one of the hostages, he's got a Harbor Freight flashlight in his pocket. Now, if you guys don't know, Harbor Freight that's very budget low tier hardware i mean that is you go to that tool shop for shit that you would just throw away the next day can't take it a disrespect he's, yeah he's staring at this guy and the the three guys that are security are the the guys that lando cruises with at the end of uh at return of the jedi you know the guys <laughs> all three of them look like that so it's very funny when uh, robot wayne grow just goes behind him r2 chorito looks back at him He's like, nothing suspicious, except that Robot Wangro's got one arm behind his back, and the second robot that R2 turns, Robot Wangro kills him with a hammer. All three. Just the one. And then R2 turns around, looks, looks back at Obi-Wan, and then looks back at the hostages, and then kills the other two. And then they go back. They go back into their car, which is Slave 1, and they take off. <laughs> So I don't know if you guys know where I've gone with this, but uh, I'm trying to fix everything that happened with the stupid fucking Obi-Wan show that we had to watch, and I'm making that into heat. How did they get Boba Fett's ship? Doesn't matter, because um, <laughs> I'll say this. Like Michael Mann, I thought of the end frame first, and then I worked around that. 
this is not going to be long because I am fucking, I, I don't know how you guys fucking do this every week. This is insane. Obviously, we're going to have like a coffee shop scene where uh, our Vincent Hanna, who's a hunter. Wait, a hunter, is it a coffee shop or is that a cantina scene? Cantina scene. Sorry, cantina scene. Can yeah, okay, feel free to chime in because I really didn't put much thought into this. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a cantina scene. Vincent Hanna? Not Vincent Hanna. Boba Fett. Boba Fett is our hunter. It's a comedy, right? We got to keep it light. So they get to the coffee shop, right? Obi-Wan sits down. This is an amazing scene. Obi-Wan sitting down in front of Boba Fett. Boba Fett sits down. He's having a lot of problems with the jetpack. He just can't get situated, right? You know, like... Obi-Wan's asking him all these questions, you know, like... You know, you got a girl? You got anything going on? And then he's like, yeah, but... Can I get like a, a kid seat or something? Maybe if I prop the jetpack up and it, Bo, you know, Obi Wan's like, "Do you want to switch seats with me? I feel like this side is a little bit higher. If you come over here, maybe that'll help out." Have their discussion or whatever. There's a very unfortunate scene. Okay, Robot Wayne Grow. He he's a man of pleasure, right? He likes a little something something on the side, so he goes to get an oil change, right? <laughs> so the mechanic finishes up the oil change on him. And he just looks back and he goes, you don't know what's going on here, do you? I'm the uh, Grim so Reaper and I'm here. And before he can even finish that, one of the other mechanics comes by and whacks him in the back of the head with a wrench. <laughs> and he goes, stop doing that shit. Stop threatening my mechanics. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's an old habit. I'm just going to get to the end. I'm going to get to the end, right? Because we have our chase scene. <laughs> After, after Obi-Wan has killed Robot Wayne Grow in the Cloud City Motel, because we're not, fuck Tatooine, we're, we're going to Cloud City. So he, okay, he, he bursts into the hotel room and it's like, hello there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's like, look at me, look at me. So then he chases him out to the spaceport, right? Uh... Boba Fett is chasing him. So Bo 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 this is Boba Fett's hunt. He's been chasing Obi-Wan forever. Darth Vader's the one who hired him. Doesn't matter. Chases him out. They have the fight scene. But this is where we diverge a little bit because... Okay, sorry. <laughs> Wait, let's go in back the to the beginning. In the movie... <laughs> in the movie, it is... Uh, it's Neil McCauley that goes down. In this case, yeah. that would be Obi-Wan. Not what happens here. Obi-Wan shoots Boba Fett. Shoots? Shoots Boba Fett. I know, it's yeah. very uncivilized. Boba Fett's laying there. Might not die. He's wearing his armor. Probably not going to die, but it's a pretty bad wound. Drops his gun. He's, he's not going to be able to fight back. So he goes up to him and Boba Fett maybe says, told you I'm never going back or whatever. And they grab hands. Just like at the end, now, Brett, you, you don't know this, but at the end of Heat, they grab hands, a dramatic piano song starts playing. But what happens is, dramatic piano song is not God Over the Face of Water from Moby. It's Max Rebo? Nope. See you again. It's been a long time. That piano God, starts playing. When he, he releases his hand... It's the keys to Slave 1. And you know that, too, that it was from Obi-Wan because it's got that little uh, rat tail as a rasp on the key. And then we cut the credits. 
So now we have the origin story of how Boba Fett got Slave One. It was a gift from Obi Wan. <laughs> so we are combining Star Wars with Heat, but we are getting the ending of the first Fast and Furious movie. Ambitious, ambitious. That is, that is I I had. Before you said anything, Brett, I was not expecting to do a chop shop. I had in my mind that I was actually going to do a TV miniseries and just say it on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, comedy was so horrible for Heat. <laughs> That's what I did. The Wheel of Fate can be a cruel mistress. I, I'm just so impressed that Andrew's chop shop debut, like he went for Francis Ford Coppola Apocalypse Now level of ambition. I just... <laughs> well, you gotta latch on to a big franchise, right? If we want to do a big budget comedy, so let's latch on to Star Wars, which they'll let anybody do a Star Wars thing. It's true. I mean, honestly, we might be able to just pitch what you did as a new, the next series. I, I have no idea how you guys do these chop shops. My initial idea was actually when you said comedy was I, I had this idea of doing Heat combined with Midnight Run, where Charles Grodin was going to accidentally become Wayne Grow. <laughs> Okay. If you guys have you guys seen Midnight Run? It's been a very long time. I love Midnight Run. Uh, never that. Never mind. That doesn't play at all. Then you got. I thought you guys would have been like, oh, that was such a good idea. But if you've never seen Midnight Run, then it's a fucking stupid idea. So, never mind. It's a De Niro movie, though. Well, my only idea, if if I would have gotten the Chop Shop this week, I, I can't, Andrew. I can't remember if this was mentioned on one of the Simmons podcasts or just through osmosis from heat research but if macaulay at the end of the movie or at the third act we had found out that he is natalie portman's deadbeat dad that doesn't show up and and you tied those together make it a little more of a family drama like not only is he pursuing him but he's also pursuing the the birth father of his stepdaughter (laughs) i thought they were gonna that would have been hilarious yeah I would have loved that for comedy. <laughs> Could have been like daddy's home, you know? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I think a, a, a lesser director than Michael Mann would be like, yeah, maybe we can we can have him be the dad because that would be a nice little Kaiser Soze plot twist at the end. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's not where I went with it. I went with uh, something that we recently did that I thought was terrible. <laughs> Turned it into something lighthearted. You comedy. redeemed it. You redeemed it. Yeah. yeah. Save the franchise, kept up with the canon. Now we know how Boba Fett got Slave 1. And those were details I needed. Because yep. I didn't know. I also like the implication from your story that Mace Windu kills Jango Fett. Obi-Wan Kenobi takes Slave 1 from Jango Fett's corpse and then gives it back to his son later. What you didn't like think he was, was just holing on to it. As R2 Chiritu would have done is um I was gonna have this scene too during the shootout where he takes a little kid as R2D2. <laughs> but like it was it was gonna be a little Greedo kid, you know? And then the cops are gonna shoot him and he was gonna do that thing when he gets stunned. Uh, I think in return to the editor, he goes, Wow, and then he just collapses. Just falls over. Yeah. Uh, and then I also wanted in the when they have robot Wayne grow in the coffee scene, you know, when Obi-Wan slams his head for R2 to have to do that stare at the guy. But he has the little antenna thing pop up. I just like the little the, the little one eye just kind of like circling yeah. around and looking. 
Oh, boy. Yeah, R2 is going to be my favorite. Just because, remember, it is mentioned in the original trilogy that uh, R2 was originally Obi-Wan's robot. Hmm. Well, and then R2, as we've seen multiple times, the action is the juice for R2. <laughs> Uh, he's gonna... always meddling. He's always getting into shit. My idea for that scene is when they're talking that um, Obi-Wan was going to be like, look, R2, like, you got real estate, you got Tatooine bonds, you got a family. Um, <laughs> and then R2 was going to look at him and just say, bee-boop, and then spill a little bit of oil. And then Kumail was going to be like, he, he says the action is the juice. Oh. <laughs> uh. Who would Chris be in the... Did you say who Chris was? Kumail, Kumail Nanjiani is Chris. Oh, okay, yeah. got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. All right, that but makes the sense. The comedy version of him, you know? Who is Jar Jar okay. Binks? <laughs> Van Zandt. Yes, I was, I was thinking Van Zandt. Yeah. yeah. Right? He's got a five o'clock shadow just watching hockey, just not leaving his fucking office. <laughs> Gungan sweatpants. Misa hasn't left the office in three weeks. <laughs> How so? What do I know? <laughs> oh, and my um. Could you shit. imagine him doing the winky thing that Andrew was talking about? Fucking Jar Jar. <laughs> my my Nate was gonna be Yoda. Oh, with that fucking mullet. Throw the that fucking mullet. mullet. In the yes, suit he was gonna grow out his white hair. <laughs> Wait, I like Yoda with the mustache more than the mullet. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> But he was gonna be like problems you had, <laughs> and I'll be gonna be like I don't want to talk about it. The guy who discovered the internet—that's definitely Watto. <gasps> Shit! So I had Watto as um, I had Watto as Kelso, but he was gonna be played by a humanoid because I know that would that was bother Brett. <laughs> I was gonna have my I was gonna have Michael Michael Rooker play Watto. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, so that that's Kelso, the guy who invented the internet. Seriously, it's in my notes. Oh, this is going off. I'm gonna read me like an open book, Travis. Yeah. Alrighty, gentlemen. Final thoughts for 1995 seed. Is it a must own? People need to watch it. People need to rent it. What are what are, what are our final thoughts? What are the recommendations for anybody who listened to our review without watching the movie? Andrew, you go first. You're our guest. It's such a great movie. Uh, make sure you take a nap or something beforehand because it, it's a lengthy one. But if you can get through it once, I just think it's incredible. If you love action scenes, it's got some of the best action scenes of all time. It's got one of the best Fantastic stories of all time. Fantastic music, too. Yeah, it got great music. If you like cop shows at all, like if you're a True Detective fan, The Wire fan, it, it like you, you can't not watch it. Um... And I do think something that's unique about it that maybe not so unique to Goodfellas is that it had this movie as an entirety has not been copied. Whereas I feel like something like Goodfellas has been copied to death. So it, it might be more difficult to go back and watch a movie like that. Whereas Heat, I, I feel like Heat's very original. You're going to get something out of it that you won't get in other films. I, I, I'll slightly I push back. I, I almost want to say Heat has been ripped off even maybe a little more than Goodfellas. But in either case, whatever movie you think has been ripped off, 
the level of artistry. I, I'm on a podcast with two people who have a brilliant eye for design, which I don't, but they've been very complimentary of the design element of this movie. The acting is top notch. Andrew said it. Michael Mann brings out the best performance of whoever he's working with. And, you know, I didn't think we were going to get as much into Star Wars as, as we did. So thank you, Andrew. But one of the things that I, I'm glad that I can touch on this at the end, this movie is realistic in the sense that nobody is going 100 for 100 on headshots. You know, we see in the drive-in scene, Chris shoots at the the guy who tries to ambush Neil and misses him several times because, yeah, even trained soldiers are going to miss but there's not also on the flip side, there's not stormtrooper level of inaccuracy and, you know, infinite reloads and stupid shit like that. So even if you've seen this ripped off in Grand Theft Auto, like literally Grand Theft Auto 5, the opening heist is the armored car heist from this movie down to the setting. Everything's the same. But the technical expertise that Michael Mann brings to it, it's still not going to be like any other action movie you're seeing. You know, there's not a lot of CGI the United States Marine Corps looks at Val Kilmer and says that he does the best job of reloading they've ever seen on film. So highest recommend I could give. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it's a, an absolutely fantastic movie. I do think there's opportunities where they could have cut and trimmed some stuff out to make it a little bit tighter. You know, I want to see the Topher Grace cut of this movie, but, um, Outside of that, I, I think it's great. You just you really have to have a time investment for it because it is what two hours, two and a half hours. Yeah, I'd say like two forty five, two fifty. Yeah, yeah. It, it's almost a three hour movie. So, uh, but it is absolutely fantastic from beginning to end. You know, being a little nitpicky and it's fun to kind of to to poke fun and, and joke about some of the stuff in the movie. But at the end of the day, it, it is an, a great movie, definitely worth the watch. Would you say a must own, Brett, for for you? For me, probably not. No. I and it's. I think it goes back to the length when, just um, it's never going to. I don't think it's going to be a movie that I feel like just sitting down and watching because of how the time investment that goes into it. Like, I just especially now being a dad, I, it's hard to find three hours to sit down and watch a movie. Like there used to be a time where I would, you know dedicate a week into watching the lord of the rings director cuts and that's basically like they take those from three hour movies to six hour movies and i would just sit down like i can't do that kind of stuff anymore so i think it's a fantastic movie i just wish that it was a little bit more refined than what it is and and maybe get it closer to that two and a half hour maybe even two hour mark but that's not to say that it's not a movie that you shouldn't watch and to that point i think there's a lot of cultural references and you know that that it makes that i think it's worth watching kind of like total recall like there's a lot of things that reference or basically kind of try and you know play homage or play off of heat that it's definitely a movie that you would want to watch to get those those references i assume it's a must own for both of you yes uh, i've got it on digital dvd and blu-ray yeah so yeah i've got it on blu-ray and digital and i'll buy the 4k when it comes out here in a couple months the steel case is it gonna have additional commentary 
I don't know. Is is there is it possible to have additional commentary? Uh, when do you guys want to review Heat to the book? It comes out August twenty second. <laughs> Figure we give it two weeks to read it. So to read it four times, yeah. yeah. All right, and then watch Heat three times, just so you get all the references, right? Well, original commentary and then the uh, director's cut, yeah. So. Yeah, apparently you heard it here first. We're going to have the Hollywood Chop Shop Book Club. So uh, prepare for that. Is it a picture book? You can read it to your daughters when they're going to sleep. You think Edie did the graphic design You don't have to worry about the time commitment. Two birds with one stone. I like it. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) Alrighty, y'all. Thank you for listening to this extended edition of Hollywood Chop Shop. Andrew, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. I'm sure you'll be making more guest appearances, but, uh, you know, it was good having an L.A. native. Is native the right word? No. <laughs> a uh, person who at one point resided there. There we go. Let's... Thank you. Bon voyage, motherfucker. You son of a fucking <laughs> bitch. I was literally dialing that up, you motherfucker. <laughs> Oh. It's my favorite line. What do we got? What do we got? Oh. We're good. Well, that's fine. It works out, Andrew, because you know why? Because I got to hold on to my angst. I preserve it because I need it. It keeps me sharp on the edge where I got to be. Did I take yours, Brett? No, no, not at all. I mean, I, anything I would have done, I would have fucked up the line anyway. I was possibly going to try and do the one about, you know, uh, you can't watch my TV, but again, I would have butchered it miserably. I'm angry. I'm very angry, Ralph. You know, you can ball my wife if she wants you to. I like <laughs> this movie. It's all about consent. If she wants you to. You can lounge <laughs> around here on my sofa in her ex-husband's dead tech postmodernistic bullshit house if you want to. But you do not get to watch my fucking television set. You know that really happened? What, he took the TV and smashed it? The detective that uh, Vincent is based on actually did that. He had the situation, he did not know how to react, and he was like, it was a very (laughs) stupid thing, but I took the TV. Uh, and then Michael Mann said he wasn't sure. The scene where he kicks it out of the car, he doesn't know if that really happened. He's like, that might have happened, or we might have made that up. I don't know. But the him taking the TV happened. Yeah, it's definitely not as dramatic if Pacino just unloads the TV and then plugs it up at his new place. All righty, gents. Catch you on the flip side. The whole time I was waiting for one of you guys to say who. And what maybe you, you guys didn't announce it. Who? Who? Now, yeah, now you get to listen to me fuck up the synopsis seven times <clears throat> and then give up oh, and just I can't do wait it in post. To hear how you pronounce all the names. That's my. That's oh, one that's of my why I don't parts. put names in these. <laughs> yeah, I saved that for the five point. <laughs> all right. We cannot hear you. I'm not joking. We cannot hear you. Are you, are you serious? Oh, we got oh, you. I can hear you now. <laughs> we can hear you now. We could not hear you now. Did you play with any...
Nope, can't hear you now. Honestly, I don't know if he's fucking with us. It's him. I he's was fucking to with you. Now can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, this is revenge for me not hearing the fucking song at the end. Don't waste my motherfucking time!